Greetings, dear listeners. We got our friend Sam Kimbrell on the podcast this week. Sam's a good friend and has written for us before. He started up a center at the Aspen Institute on Philosophy and Society. We figured he'd be the best person to get on to talk about AI, ChatGPT, and what it means to be sentient. This episode is a rich one and quickly gets into exactly what we're doing at Wisdom of Crowds in the first place. It's not just about why we believe what we believe, but also about the limits of knowledge and about how being humble about what we don't and can't know is absolutely essential for building better things and living a better life. Become a paying subscriber to hear the whole conversation. Head on over to wisdomofcrowds.live slash subscribe to support our work. On to the show. So I don't know, lads, you know, like, um, I guess, you know, to sort of start talking about this, have you guys seen that, like, GPT-4 came out this week? The, like, the new version of, uh, of the, uh, the, the AI? Yeah, uh, they said it's better than human beings. That's what I saw on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, smarter, smarter on, 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 like, LSATs and shit. On right? all these exams. No, that's yeah. a serious thing. I mean, I don't know how hard, I mean, I guess the LSAT's probably hard, but... Um, <laughs> well, you know, you know, the funny thing, I, I mean, it's, it's a good, it's a good way to think about it. You know, I, I remember, um, maybe we even joked about it online, but like my first experiment playing with chat GPT was something like, while I was still at the Atlantic council was like chat GPT, write me a grant proposal, you know, for $150,000 <laughs> on like regional economic integration for the Western Balkans. And it did a really freaking good job. Uh, not like. You could take copy and paste it, and you know submit it, but like it did a decent enough job, and not like not all that rote either, because I was specific enough in my request to to make it like somewhat technical, and um, it 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 like really highlighted to for me the extent to which what ChatGPT is good at is um, is stuff that that we think we need human beings to do because we think it requires human stuff. But actually, if you think about it in terms of like machines, like sending signals and messages to each other where things need to be, you know, if you've done any programming, like if you're writing a program that communicates with other programs, you have a format of the message that needs to be sent. And the message needs to include data, 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 data. And then, and then, like you fill those things in into the sort of data structure, and that's how you like systems communicate with each other. And it, it dawned on this, me, it's like you're, chat just, GPT, you're just like you're just like describing university bureaucracy. Well, like any bureaucracy straight, straight really, yeah. or or grant making, like <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. with with like think tanks and yeah. and and like NGOs and stuff like that. Is there's a grant making institution and like the grantee and the grantee needs to set a perfectly formatted message yeah, to yeah. the other system which takes the message is able to parse out what it's about there's a lot of fluff there in this thing like that encodes the <laughs> the, the data yeah. the other machine goes boop, 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 and it's populated by human beings that are all like boop, 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 yeah, yeah. and then it like craps out a message like yes you get the grant no yeah, you so, don't get the grant so, you know? so this, this is not an argument that uh that ChatGPT is human. This is an argument that university administrators are not human. Well, but this, this, a, this yeah. gets this gets to the the, the core of, of of my essay and why we thought we'd have you on, Sam. Which you know, I I I don't know again if I've said it out loud yet, but like I I you know I wrote that essay 
sort of as a provocation, uh, and I, I think of it as a provocation to you, Sam, and uh, sort of a goad to Shadi to sort of, you know, push on in, in uh, the way he thinks about it and talks about, uh, you know, the individual human agency, uh, you know, dignity and all the other things that are important to, for a functioning democracy. And we'll include a link in the show notes to your essay. What was it titled, Demir? Um, Chat something GPT and me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, great. it's great. Great title. <laughs> that is a good title. Yeah, that was like an 11 o'clock p.m. title idea. Okay, so I just want to I just want to put something out there and I want to just offer a disclaimer to people. I stopped following the news, so I don't really know a whole lot of things. Yeah, good. I practice what I preach. Yeah, you, you, know? you preached it in the Atlantic, said the only way to happiness is to stop following the news. You know, I was, I, I, I was, I was, I was, you know, to, to just do a little side note on that. I think it was a great essay in the Atlantic and I think people should go and read it. We'll also put it in the show notes, but you didn't put in my favorite and earliest proponent of this worldview. Do you remember, we've talked about him on the show before, uh, Aaron Swartz, that kid who ended up committing oh, yeah. suicide oh. after, after, you know, he had, I think went to MIT and downloaded most of the like journals, the academic journals that were at one of the big databases and was just yeah. going to like release them. And they locked yeah. him up and he killed himself yeah. in jail. Yeah. He had uh, he had an essay, which I'll dig up the link to and also put in the show notes called uh, I Hate the News or something like that. Huh. And this was, I don't know. Yeah, I, that's, I, yeah that's an amazing. That's an amazing it's one. such a short essay. And he just yeah. makes the point. It's just like most of the news is actually irrelevant to me. And he even goes further and more provocatively says like, you know, being like up on the news, we like to think as like participants in a democracy, you know, we need to be up on the news. Like this is our duty as citizens is to be up on the news. And he's like, that's bullshit. Like look at any any newspaper story, how many times it gets corrected, how many times, you know, things change, and how many times in the course of a week the story develops. Like how important is me is it for me to know every you know, turn. It's like, instead of a, a news, I will read a magazine. Instead of a magazine, I'll read a book. And maybe the best thing to do is like, before I vote once every, you know, two or four years, depending, I'll just read like a brief on what the issues are and, and try and figure out like at that point, what's important, but like actually being abreast of the news is not important, you know? Yeah. And I think it's even plausible to me that let's imagine a citizenry where no one read any news. Yeah. I think that the electoral outcomes could be, you know, potentially better. Like it's it's unclear to me that if if you had Wait, like any any news, well, I guess that wouldn't work because then then they wouldn't know how to get to the polls and stuff. So there are complications. <laughs> no, but, you could you um, could you, the authorities could just you know like mail an, out like instructions. That's like instructions. That's just like driving directions. Yeah, driving that directions. Seems, that seems fine. easier. Yeah, true. <laughs> but I guess what I was really getting at. Um, wait, yeah, okay. So because I don't follow the news as much, I I'm not totally up to speed on the Chat GPT um, version number four. I did, however, run across an article briefly on Twitter. Um, where it was very pessimistic. It was saying because human, uh, sorry, uh, because AI is now showing that it can outperform humans, that the chances of the world ending are thirty three percent. That's Scott Alexander's piece, yeah. Oh yeah, Scott Alexander. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, yeah. the piece. I didn't finish he, reading that one. It looked really good. Yeah, and but and he, it, it pointed me to that. There's like this entire doom universe of people who are like really I mean, worried about this stuff. So and he like, was the optimistic one. Yeah. So Scott Alexander in that, he's like, here are all the other people who have made public predictions and they're like 50%, 60%. 
that sort of thing. And he's like, here's the optimistic view. Only 33% chance the world will end. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, we're going to talk about philosophy of mind here, but um, actually like one of the bigger interfaces with philosophy and this topic over the past several decades is this like existential risk kind of field. Yeah. And that, I mean, has been like, wild proliferation of ways to make you depressed about the future of the world. And I mean, AI is always like very high up on this. And, and you know, this is like tied to that part of philosophy that has been under ignominy recently because of, uh, of Sam Bankman-Fried and the whole Will McCaskill universe. Like the EA people, the effective altruism people have been like very, very interested in this kind of like long-term, can humanity survive things, things can like you, AI? Can you maybe world? tell us a bit more about this sub-discipline, ex- yeah. existential risk? I'm not familiar and, with I mean, that. And, and more than, let me impress you a bit more on that. Like I never delved into it on in the Sam Bankman-Fried stuff because the little scratching I did of effective altruism, it seemed like such rank hackery and like dumb, like millennial, like bullshit that, <laughs> that like, it just like, I, I, I dismissed well, so, it almost out of hand. But let me say one more thing about that. At the same time, you have these other people like Eric Schmidt and like Kissinger writing pieces about like AI destroying the world. And and it's like, I think Kissinger's too old, quite frankly, to even understand what AI is, even though he's a smart guy. But like Eric Schmidt, I'm like, okay, so Kissinger's talking to Schmidt and Schmidt's probably writing these things with Kissinger's like sparkling some some geopolitics into it. But like, uh, like Sam, convince us in like human terms that this is not just fucking gobbledygook futurism that like involves in some sense this concept of the fucking singularity, which is another <laughs> annoying concept that Silicon Valley people love to like hump. I mean, you're you're asking me to defend yeah, uh, one of my very least my like very <laughs> least favorite parts of my discipline. Just explain so, it. Explain okay. it for 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 mortals. Okay, I mean. Like the background to this part of the discipline is utilitarianism. Mm -hmm. So Peter Singer in particular is a kind of primary figure as you like sort of trace out this like millennial tech bro philosophy kind of overlap thing. Mm -hmm. The basic idea is that the moral system that we should be running is one that maximizes something like happiness or the greatest good, like one of these kind of like vague shadowy terms that no one actually knows what they're, that that no one like really defines really carefully for you. And then they say, okay, given the fact that that's our goal, maximizing X term for the greatest number of people, we need to think not just in like very localized ways. um, And actually people is like an interesting question there. Like Singer, like famously doesn't think that the, like the, the entities for which you're maximizing are just humans. Like he thinks that you need to expand that range in all kinds of ways. Um, but, a funny but, side note about Peter Singer. Yeah. I think yeah. you're the one who told me about it and it was hilarious when you showed it to me. You showed me <laughs> Let's like- Let's definitely his Amazon, include this in the show notes. <laughs> his Amazon book page, which has all of his book covers, they all have his face on. Like it's just like Peter Singer is the cover of all of his different books in different positions, like with different expressions. It's incredible. It's like, no, it's like looking through his like, um his like aging fo- photo album. It's yeah. like s- s- sort of flip through and you're like, oh, like middle-aged Peter Singer, like less middle-aged Peter Singer, like actually old Peter Singer. That's, um, <laughs> this is like why they're worried in the fu- worried about the future. Cause like, it just looks like it's not going that well for him specifically. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so I mean the you know the upshot of this is then people say okay like if we need to pay attention to benefit for humanity let's not just consider currently existing human beings let's consider 
our species well into the future or possibly like successors to our species. This is where it like overlaps with transhumanism. Mm -hmm. And so then you get these kind of models which say saving humanity from uh, like major cataclysm is a more important goal than say currently alleviating poverty in San Francisco. And so you get this kind of um, recalibration of a philanthropic industry to say, let's just pay attention in like what they call like the most rational way possible to the actual stakes at hand and then calibrate our philanthropic giving right. um, accordingly. And like, you know, there are some aspects, like we all have a friend who's in the, um, it's, this has been like, um, uh, f- like the philosophy salon um, month on Wisdom of Crowds. So Osita and I, uh, who was on last time, uh, set up this reading group thing that Demir and you, you're both part of. And one of the people that's been in that group uh, is um, Dylan Matthews, who famously like donated a kidney based upon this kind of- mm. um, Wait, the, really? The, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, has was very involved in EA early on. And um and it's interesting. I mean, he's he'd be a really interesting guest to have on at some point. To but he's sorry, about. he donated a kidney for the future. No, I mean specifically on this kind of like less Logic. less the long long termism part of EA okay. and more the okay, how do I understand the resources that are on my side and then how to maximize those? Okay, after uh, I've just slagged off an yeah. entire sort of yeah. subset well, of people who follow this this <laughs> idea, we should have him on. And yeah, okay, I'll be nicer next time then. No, but I mean, it's just to say that, like you know, even if. Uh, I think we're pretty agreed that there's a lot of this that's like, it's not too bad that it's deflated. There are also some interesting parts that like, oh, that's actually kind of inspirational. So where's um, AI get into this then? Like, what's their take on AI? Uh, beca- because AI looks like one of these like sort of large large risk categories. And so you have um, the Center for Existential Risk at Oxford that was famously like kind of doing this stuff uh, probably, I don't know when it was set up, maybe late 90s, early 2000s that started looking at this and AI was one of their principal kinds of risk factor things. Um, and that has played it played up in all kinds of other. But and so like, you know, like even people like Elon Musk that have been like worried about this um, have 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 also like played played it. But so you know, look, like they've been influenced by that. <laughs> Nick I, Bostrom. You know, I, 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 I sort of follow the, the existential risk. I, let me let me throw out two things. Maybe we can talk about a little bit more of the existential risk. Um, I mean, I, th- I think the philosophy of mind stuff is more interesting. I think it's more interesting, too. But yeah. I, let, let's stick with it for a sec. Because, like, look, yeah. um, I mean, maybe you can explain, like, what the, the, the real worry of existential risk is. I mean, I started skimming the, the, the Alexander, Scott Alexander piece that Shadi was talking about. And it's it's it seems to sort of hinge on the idea that like these things will get smart, um, and I think it has a great line at the beginning, something like you know they will they share they have values different they develop values different from our own, including like the worship of paper clips, yeah. and like yeah. and yeah. they will as a result in the pursuit of the defense of paper clips develop super weapons to wipe us out. I I mean okay, sort of you know, and I I take. The premise that these things are moving very quickly and everyone's concerned that, you know, we've had in the course of six months, you know, going from zero ability to model language to something that is pretty convincingly doing it. And apparently ChatGPT 3.5 to 4.0 itself is like a huge leap in the course of three months or four months or whatever. I mean, it's it's something and it's happening pretty quickly. But, you know, I mean, I guess my question is, what do you think of that, or what do you both think about like that sort of existential threat? I guess I, I I still struggle to see it, and maybe just throw out the other thing. Like what I think is more interesting about it, especially for the three of us, and for you know, um, 
useless people like us. It's that like, I, I think we've always felt pretty good about being able to use technology to uh, stay ahead of the curve. And technology up until now has displaced people at different, you know, with different skill sets and rendered entire generations uh, in like economic peril as a result. I mean, I, I think that the more interesting thing of like real threat from chat GPT is that all of us that write, uh, we may really be struggling to figure out and like completely recalibrate to what our jobs entail in the future. You know, I, I, I have a sense that like the real sort of disruption will come in in our world, which has up until now only been helped at the margins by automation and other things. Like I think parts of what we do are just are likely to be automated and like changed uh, in ways that like we we haven't yet even begun to anticipate. So I think it's it's our sort of elite knowledge class, those workers that are really screwed going forward. I don't think, Demir, that AI can replicate our opinion, my opinions for sure, but. You should I, try it. <laughs> there, there was I, there was a naughty tweet uh, out out there that said uh, that asked uh, to you know to write uh, uh, in the voice of Joe Biden when he decided to defend transgender rights. I won't quote it here because it'll get me canceled, but I will put it in the show notes. So the person whoever tweeted that can be canceled. Yeah, but, yeah. You know what? All I meant to say there is that you can ask ChatGPT in the voice of Shadi Hamid. Now I think it doesn't have. I have. Trust me, I have. It is not the real thing. It's not there yet, though. Like I, I think that because that's the thing that's coming down the pike on this is I will be able to, probably soon, maybe even with ChatGPT four, is like take a subset of texts, i.e., download everything you've written that I can find online, feed it to it, and say focus on this, and this is what you're working from. Um, now, you know, you're much more prolific than me, so you're in more trouble than I am. Like, there's not enough of it to work on for me, but the more you write, the more replicable you might be. Wow. Okay, interesting. But I, I do want to say something about um, existential <laughs> no, no, this, risk like, before he's, he's, we... He's yeah, just saying you're not going to have to work as hard. Like, you're just like, write, write my Atlantic essay for me, and then, like, it's... It shows yeah, up hey, there. hey. Maybe, maybe. But, Go on, Shetty, yeah. Okay, the existential risk stuff... I honestly have a lot of trouble grasping it. It doesn't resonate with me at a very fundamental level. And let's just go straight to first principles. I think that, look, I've said I've said things to this effect in previous episodes, and I hope it, I hope it doesn't sound like too oversimplified. But um, I don't think God will allow an alien species to come and defend paper clips or whatever, you know, scenario you just said. Like, it's not as if anything is possible. If you believe in God, then only certain things are possible. The realm of possibility is is constrained in some basic sense. So I don't have this same sense of panic about the future. The world, you know, the world will end presumably like with God's, God's ascent. And, oh, you know, I, right. I just, this is not beyond, like, but why, 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 why are we the favored creatures? Why? I mean, maybe it's not revealed yet, and God has put us on this earth to give birth to the paperclip overlord AI. That and we're just no, we're, but well, we're, because maybe I we're like in, a snakeskin, and like I we'll believe, just be shed off. Like I, I mean, that's just theology. But maybe God didn't tell you the whole truth. No, you don't but have access to all but I also believe in scripture, and I think if that was really the case, then God would have like dropped some hints in in the relevant scripture. And to, you know, to my knowledge, he hasn't on that particular issue. Because he he loves you so much, he would never lie to you. 
Oh, no, I don't. No, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't think God um, lies to his creation. Hmm. No, I don't think. I mean, I guess he could. I mean, if God is all powerful, then theoretically he can do anything. But, um, pr but God can't go against his own stated laws. So if God is the the most trustworthy, the most, um, uh, you know, all the names of God or attributes of God that we can think of. He can't go against his own attributes, but I mean that's a bigger theological conversation. To what extent God can go beyond himself, and you know whether that just like creates an endless set of paradoxes. But like it is, it is relevant because it's like a question of whether contingency is everything, and that that's sort of I think what the philosophy of mind conversation is about. Also, so like is the way you get to setting up a center for existential risk at Oxford is you think. Um, there are maybe you don't even need like endless contingencies. So you could just say the parameters are really wide. Like uh, God's not going to allow the whole universe to get wiped out, but he would let this planet get wiped out. And then you say, let's pattern out the whole range of contingency. And, you know, they've worked on all kinds of stuff. I mean, uh, the questions like about whether our entire reality is just a simulation from like a grade school classroom of a higher species, you know, that that's why it's like so Wait, wonky. Did, does like, anyone so really think that? Like, help me out here because I'm not familiar with that, uh, with those ideas. Is is the argument that it's theoretically possible that we're living in a simulation or do some people actually think that we are living in a simulation? So it's, again, part of this sort of philosophy that's very different than my own disposition. The way they tend to do it is like probabilistically. So they'll say... <laughs> Hey, look! Video games in the '80s looked like, like, you know, eight pixels, like hitting a thing with three pixels back and forth between, you know. And then, like, now look at what video games look like. What's the probability that uh, some, like, either our species or like a higher species, wouldn't eventually get to the point where they could simulate something like the whole universe? Um, and so, the, and so, then, like, once you do that, then you say, what's the probability that our universe hasn't been previously simulated? in this kind of way. Mm -hmm. And so then they say, yeah, actually there's like a pretty good chance. Um, but again, I, simulation, a lot but of given what we sound... now know about te technology, it looks like we're probably in the matrix. These people are sound like clowns. This is, this is like ludicrous stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I mean, it gets down to, I mean, I think it, it does get down to, this is why this strikes me as, as like good fodder for us. Um, is that these are first principles questions? Is like where do you where do you begin your inquiry from? You know, and where, what do you ground your 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 starting principles at? You know, again, it, it comes down to do you do you ground everything in as in an assertion about individuals existing and having attributes like dignity and you know that we need to respect those things and you know that rights flow from that whatever those rights might be, however you define them, and you you sort of build everything from that. Or do you say that, like, well, you know, I don't know, you call all of that into question. And then, you know, and then the, the problem for me, Sam, with how you, you describe that is, uh, is probabilities. You know, I mean, I find, I find it yeah. challenging even, like, talking to people who say, like, work in intel agencies and um, in, uh, um, in government. And, and, you know, I, as I understand it, their assessments always are like, you know, they, they have to put um, – probability assessments on like this. A, yeah, 30% confidence in X. But but you know what I mean like but but you're looking at you're looking at 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 expert opinion and it's really weird to me. It's always been weird to me when experts assign numbers to like 
conf you know, there's there's something that a confidence interval means in statistics, and then there's something that like an individual saying is like I'm 30% confident that something's happened is going to happen. It's an absurd like sleight of hand. Like 30% is not equal to 30% in that sense. It's yeah. not the same fucking thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so like, you know, oh yeah, we're not, we're, we're, so you dodge the first principles question and we're like, oh, we're just dealing with probabilities. And yeah, okay. We go from Pong to, to like, you know, um, I don't I know mean, what, like Halo. In, and now you're like, and therefore there's a chance, well, sure, I guess there's a chance, but there's a chance of anything. If you really put it that way, it's yeah. like, oh, I, oh, it's, it's a pretty good probability. I mean, but like, it's, a, it's, that's an abusive language as far as I'm concerned. It's not a probability. It's just basically, you, you, if you cast everything off, everything's possible, right? Ultimately? Well, I mean, it's worth, it's worth saying that like, even in statistics, you get that problem, right? So there's a, lot of, there's a lot more judgment going on in statistical modeling than people usually realize. So like, where you set your p-value for a given study yeah. matters a lot for what the conclusions are that you come out with. And usually you just have to decide. P like, being oh, population okay. is what you're talking about, like what you're sampling in these things, No, the right? prob prob probability. So like, okay. so it's where it's where you say, okay, like this is a salient result versus yeah. a non-salient. Like this, it, yeah. is this noise or is this like actually something that we're going to trust? And yeah. so the degree of confidence that you're going to put in that is a matter of judgment. You're like, okay, like at this, at this, for this particular topic that we're thinking about, like it should be set really, really tight. Like we, we're not going to, like allow a lot of chance that we got uh, false positives here, or you're going to say, no, like it's fine. Like we'll just kind of accept it. And so it, you know, I think elite, one of the things that is important when you're talking about how it's, it's actually one of the reasons why I like this project that we're doing so much is that when people who are really serious about thinking are thinking, they realize like just how much uncertainty is involved. Like the questions that we're talking about here, what is contingency? Um, is the universe real? Like how, you know, these are questions that no, truly no smart person, like this is not like, you know, like whatever, they wheel out Stephen Hawking and then like he knows everything. Like that, there just is no such person in the world. Like they're yeah. just, it doesn't exist. So whatever discipline you're talking about, whether, you know, so disciplines like theoretical physics, um, th theoretical mathematics, metaphysics and philosophy, ep epistemology usually, like these are considered like the sort of top of the academic heap. And the very best people in all of those disciplines have no idea about the like primary questions in their disciplines. Like there's a certain level of stuff that we all know and that we like are premises that we're working from. But it's also the case that when you're talking about the like biggest questions of humanity, there's a huge amount of uncertainty and judgment. Hmm. And so, and I think it's one of the like miscommunication things that happens with politics. I, I actually think this is really relevant to the political debates that we're having, which is you kind of have sort of how it's structured is you have that class of people, all of whom have PhDs doing research at Harvard. When they're talking to each other, they're like, I don't know, like, here, like here's where my uncertainty is. If you go read journal articles, it starts with, uh, here's a bunch of stuff no one knows, and I'm gonna tell you sort of how I might think about it. When that stuff gets uh, taught to whatever, undergraduates and maybe master's students who then end up in communicating it externally, they're like, all of the experts think such and such thing, which is tr genuinely never, ever, ever true. And so, and the, you know, the larger population knows that they know that reality is hard and that, you know, figuring out what's real is difficult. And so the lack of, um, communicating that with a kind of circumspection means people are like, Oh, 
ex- experts are bullshit. Like, what? Why are we going to trust any of this stuff? And so, I, I think that I think there is like a political question that's like lurking beneath that. That's actually really interesting. So, to say more about that political question that's lurking. I think that the political question is, uh, humanity lives in a state of uncertainty. That's just a genuine background fact for every human that's ever existed for our whole political. It's why actually I think existential risk stuff can be kind of interesting is that it presses you to say, Hey, what if nothing else exists? Like what, like what if it all goes away? What if Mozart, what if the whole planet dies? Like there's a kind of, this is an ambiguity that you actually have. It's possible. Like you could contend with death in that kind of sense. Um, And you know, humanity as a whole has that sort of uncertainty. Like when you are like working as a carpenter, like there just is like a set of practical realities that you have to wake up with. And like, you could end up like having a workplace injury or maybe your income stream is going to dry up, whatever. There's a, there's a level of like non-controllability and in all kinds of places in society. And when I think when you have a political society that tries to like, as part of its justification for power to say, actually we have way more under control. It's all, it's all fine. It's all going to work that ends up eventually creating a kind of distrust of that segment of society. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's really helpful. Um, have you put it that way? Yeah. Because for me, I guess the way I approach these things and I, you know, this has undergirded a lot of our discussions here. It's that, you know, um, I've, I've always been sort of always since college, I've been convinced that, you know, one certainly can't prove free will. And so as a result, you know, to, to function in our society, which from the most basic element of law, uh, requires individual agency, you have to assume it. If you call that into doubt, like nothing is sensible, everything is nonsense. But since it can't be proven, at least to my, like, any satisfaction, I think if you, like, try and rigorously get into this stuff, it's it's impossible. You have to start all political discussions with the following. I assume, my, as my starting premise, that individuals have dignity, free will, agency. And then this is what I, like, you know, my sport on this podcast is just, like, you know, pushing shoddy. <laughs> to in, to further, you know, like lean into his his own religious convictions and justifying his very strong pro-democracy stand. Because I don't think that democracy can be argued for without that as its foundational basis. And it's a religious one. It's a fundamentally, it's a faith proposition. So democracy is not a, a rational case for what is good, and et cetera. It is a case that has to start with that that. Now, you know, in many ways, that's a pretty obvious statement and like anyone listening to it out of context will be like, well, yeah, of course, you know, except not of course, because, you know, most of the people that are the uh, the biggest believers in uh, democracy, democracy promotion, liberalism, and I, I know I'm sort of conflating a lot of things. They're also, uh, I think, increasingly atheists and technocrats. Yeah, that's true. And, right. and it's right. and 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 uh, it's that conjoining that I think leads to a lot of nonsense. Uh, because, because uh, um, you know, again, the faith proposition, the way you put it there, Sam, I think it, it acknowledges implicitly that there's a leap there. And that leap involves all that uncertainty, which is to say we have to assert or believe however you want yeah. uh, 
that that core tenet about what an individual is, what a human being is, what humanity is, um, and and uh, and that leap just brings in all of that uncertainty. I think in a very honest way. But that whereas whereas like the liberal technocratic atheist approach smuggles in an undeserved sense of certainty about all the rest of that stuff into the discourse in a way that poisons everything in the way that you said that basically allows common sense people that don't spend a lot of time thinking about this, listening to a bunch of these people and being like, you're all full of it. So are you suggesting, Demir, that it would be better for democracy promoters and advocates of liberalism to have faith that it's precisely the fact that they believe in these things divorced from a kind of God-centeredness that creates this undeserved certainty? So I, that's one way of interpreting it. You're making a pro-religion case here. It's better it's well, better it, to have a religious foundation when I, I guess, we talk you know, about you know, democracy. You know, I'm not religious. That's why I'm, I'm pushing it on you to make that case, because you do have faith. But like, I, I think that, that where I come at it from is but that uh, while lacking faith, and and that makes me the sort of like more of a gadfly in these arguments where I just point out the that the emperor has no clothes rather than having a creative solution for it. But I'm coming from the same place as you, except you're in a more, much more positive, you're coming up from a more po positive thing because you have a, um, an, <clears throat> an agency affirming faith or like an individual affirming faith that undergirds where you're coming from. For me, um, you know, I just sort of see people making all sorts of moves and all sorts of assertions. And I'm like, that's nonsense. You have, you're, you're not, you're standing on nothing to make these sorts of claims. But and you so, just said that without, without faith that you do in effect believe in free will. So if uh, I understood no, correctly, I, I said I said that 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 like I have um, in effect, you I said effectively... I, I said I, I that like one can't exist in a society. You'd go mad if you actually don't believe anyone has free will. Like you'd right. go you'd go insane. And the fact that you haven't gone insane suggests that, you know, by extension, that you do believe that people have free will and agency. But this—that's what gets us to the, to the ChatGPT essay and the provocation there. Because I don't know if you—if you recall, uh, and when when listeners read it, um, I get to the point at the very end where I say, like, I'm not sure. I, I outline the negative case. I say that that what ChatGPT is perhaps showing us is that uh, that we're actually a lot less than we think we are. Like that, yeah. in fact, I we are. That that uh, you know what these breakthroughs might show is. At its core, the sort of insight I got from playing with ChatGPT is that the one thing mm -hmm. that we used to think was distinctive about human beings and sort of was connected to our individuality, our insolidness, our sort of uh, humanness was language, our ability to do language. And we couldn't program something that could, that could speak because language is too complicated and uh, it involves something ineffable about the individual that that uh, and that was almost like a shorthand proof. We are agents, even if we don't know the exact mechanisms of how our agency works philosophically, but we are agents because of language. And like I just had this sort of flash when playing with ChatGPT was like, oh shit, we figured out how to model language. And the essay that that like I linked to at the beginning of that by Stephen Wolfram also makes that point that like the big breakthrough of ChatGPT is to model human language, something that we thought was beyond modeling up until now. Um, and so, so, you know, my whole essay there is 
me actually going where I actually come down on these things, which is, you know, more of a, a pessimistic sort of nihilism about this, which is like, maybe there isn't, maybe agency and all these things aren't real. But you'll note at the end, I say, I'm not sure I believe all of this. I'm not sure that, that like, I, I will make the, the opposite leap into ultimate nihilism and say, none of it matters, we're all automatons and stuff like that. I'm just saying that uh, I feel like ChatGPT has struck a blow against a certain kind of certainty that, like, atheist techno technocrat liberals had about, uh, you know, the possibility of, of human agency. Um, and that, like, the bar is a lot higher for them to now prove that in some sort of non-faith-based way. I still think that the road to believing in human, you know, individuality and like dignity and, and the individual and, and, and in solidness is there and it's religion. I absolutely believe that. That's the, that's the way out. And if you accept that, like all of modern society flows from it just fine, you know? But like I said, I think the difference what you're saying, like where I come from it, whereas opposed to where you come, come at it from, and I don't, you know, Sam, I think you're closer to Shadi, though I, I know you're, you're much yeah. more deeply studied and have like all sorts of interesting variations on the theme. But for me, for me, it's, it's, it's that, um, how do I put it? My skepticism allows me to bring in all of that indeterminacy we were talking about and like treat it, I think, seriously in a way mm. that your faith ought to let you do the same thing because it's the same move basically is to say like we actually don't know um that like that through normal human means and through normal sort of enlightenment scientific inquiry we've, we've hit a wall into asserting uh, into being able to uh claim with any certainty that human beings exist you say well of course they do i believe that and i say well i'm not sure but i i'm not going to say that they don't because i don't think that's proven either i don't think chat gpt has proven that we're not uh, you know, but I do think that from like a scientific perspective, it's it's certainly more likely to have proven that we are less than we think we are, rather than thinking that robots are, you know, getting smarter and I've getting been, closer to what we are. I've been summarizing your essay as the so the thesis is the question is is ChatGPT conscious? And Demir's response is no. ChatGPT proves that humans are not conscious. Yes, right, right. No, that's right. That's that's sort of the the insight there. And like I say at the end, I'm not sure I believe it, but it, I, it's meant as more of a provocation. So like, that was why I wanted Sam on here because I knew <laughs> from previous discussions before I was writing the essay, we've had furious debates about this. And, yeah, like uh, over Afghani food. Over Afghani food, yeah. and it was the question was is basically like convince me, conv where have I gone off in my in my in my sort of thing? But Shadi, I mean, does that make sense? Like, it what does. I'm it does. And it it sort of. It, it makes me think even more about it, the argument that I made in the Atlantic essay that knowledge is overrated and that ignorance is bliss. You know, that these, <laughs> you know, a lot of the things you're talking about, even if they're true, it's better not to know them. So if if we as humans were in fact less than conscience, conscious and we've been getting it wrong all this time and how we view that, like, I don't think it's helpful for a critical mass of human beings to realize that they're not conscious, if that is in fact true. Um, similarly, whether or not free will is exists or is real is um, it's almost irrelevant to me because I people should behave and act and live as if, as sort of as you just said, yep. as if free will is real. 
like there's no benefit to be had from having more insight into this fundamental question. And I would actually urge people to not look into the free will debates unless you're really, there is a risk of like No, no, Shani, this is where you're supposed to be telling people they should subscribe to the pod. Like this is, this is the opposite way around. That's I, not I would, I would advise saying. people not to read Demir's essay because yeah, don't, it may actually don't be really bad for you. We're now going to keep talking about free will for an hour and you should not listen to it. That's not a good marketing pitch. <laughs> or because or. people people like it's Forbidden. you know it's like the fire you know yeah. you tell people not to touch the fire and then they want the fire so right. it's counterintuitive because yeah. human beings are weird and complicated. Shadi is I the am best reminded, marketer. <laughs> <laughs> I am reminded, however, the so fire just, is on the other side of the paywall. Just so <laughs> you know. So I just actually even get getting into the great um, Danish uh, film director Carl Theodore Dreyer. Um, and his great film, it's called Ordet in Danish. I'm not even entirely sure what that means in English. But anyway, that's what it's actually called. And you can find it on Criterion ch uh, channel if you subscribe to that. But it's interesting. I only bring this up because there is a kind of amusing subplot where one of the family members basically loses his mind and starts to think that he's Jesus Christ. That's actually mm. like this, one of the subplots. But it's interesting how he gets to that point. So the problem is he starts studying theology and philosophy in a graduate program, and they literally blame his insanity on him reading Kierkegaard. Like that's actually like explicit. Like his father is like explaining why his kid is insane. And he's like, well, you know, we made a mistake and he started studying this um, philosopher. Self-loathing so, Danes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think there's, but so, you know, all jokes aside, there is, I think, something important there that's worth pondering is, you know, not everyone has, you, you have to steel yourself for philosophy, you have to prepare yourself. And if you're going into philosophy in this deep study, without the requisite preparation, it can really mess you up. But I mean, I'd make the opposite case, which is that, um, so I think uh, going through a graduate program can really mess you up. I think that's true, uh, totally, uh, having spent a lot of my own life in that uh, state of life. Um, no, but I do think that a lot of what philosophy is is just doing the most human thing, like genuinely the most human thing, which is, um, hey, what the hell is this? Like that's that's basically the discipline. And being able to do that, I do think you know, pretty much everyone is doing that in some basic sense and being able to do that with other people who are also in, you know, doing the same thing is good. And it gives you a kind of confidence and it, it allows a kind of light and air into that room. And it seems to me that actually it's one of the like least class ridden things that if you start asking questions like what is the meaning of life? Those are questions that, um, like I said earlier, everyone um, at Harvard also doesn't know the answer to. Uh, just like uh, every, you know, everyone who's working, doing working class jobs in um, Alabama also doesn't know the answer to. And the capacity to like push into that sort of, like, I think I do think that that's sort of the purpose of uh, this uh, this podcast, which is let's press into questions that are actually so hard that 
we don't know the answers. And I think there's something about that that's, and, you know, contest, contend with different possibilities, like be able to have like strong views, but do it in a way that's genu- genuinely unsure where we're going to end up. And I, th- I think that's actually a very dignifying activity. And yeah, I mean, you can end up in the wrong kind of places, but I think having a community around you helps you not do that much more than, uh, than the opposite, which is just like, avert your eyes, run away, don't touch it. Um, I As Shadi think- is doing now with the news, averting <laughs> his eyes, running away. Yeah. But so Sam, you're saying there is something fundamentally egalitarian, even perhaps democratic about philosophy, that it does level the playing field. Yeah, for sure. And I, I actually think the history of like social radicalism uh, runs through philosophy in a lot of ways. There's this passage in uh, one of Plato's dialogues that I love where Socrates is talking to this young aristocrat and just gets totally fed up with it, like pompous arrogance of this kid. And instead just goes and says like, I'm, I don't know. I don't think you understand anything. I'm going to go talk to your, your slave instead. And, uh, then from there, like all the insights of the dialogue show up and like start rolling out. And I, I think philosophy has always done something like that, where it's like, it doesn't actually sit very well with, with hierarchy or social structure. That's too strict. Then where, where does the philosopher king as the kind of a benevolent dictator figure fit into this? Because I feel like when people think about philosophy, they think about people who have this rarefied knowledge who can then govern justly. Yeah, so th- I, that's like one of the most misunderstood things in the entire history of philosophy. The, the primary point in Plato there is that, uh, you know, so Plato's great exemplar is Socrates. And what is the principal characteristic of Socrates that he's told that he's the wisest man in the world. And he says, Oh no, that's definitely not true. And then he goes away and you realize, Oh, the reason that I'm the wisest man in the world is because I at least know that I don't know anything in contrast to all of these other people who think that they actually have it totally buttoned down. So like, you know, if Plato is like recommending a philosopher King, like his best exemplar is the guy who like is very very clear that he knows nothing at all. Yeah, sure. So but it's it's the op it's the opposite of the kind of like. But at the mer- same time, again, like not to get like so bogged down in, in like the Republic, but then like at you know as the Republic goes on and it sort of goes off, Socrates goes off his script of being like the the dumb fool, like oh I don't know anything, huh? and then like <laughs> you know like later on he's just like and this is what the just society looks like, and it seems like a pretty detailed blueprint. No, no, that no, he doesn't no, no, arrive, no, no, no. That he no, doesn't no, no. arrive we, at doesn't arrive at dialectically dude, by quizzing, by quizzing peasants, but it's actually not... he's just like here's how it rolls. Like we've got guardians, and then we got smart people, no, no, no. and then we got the philosopher king, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, let's not let's not necessarily yeah, we, go that, we'll get we'll get very far afield, but that's definitely not the right reading of the Republic. Let's just like. <laughs> This is like now firmly in my wheelhouse. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, but anyway, uh, no, but let's, like- let's talk. About, let's talk, okay, so let's do talk about other minds, right? So, um, so there's a philosopher on Twitter that uh, we all uh, like to joke about, who's called Liam Bright, who I think is like genuinely hilarious in all kinds of ways. He's and called he's, Liam Bright. That's his real name. Yeah, <laughs> his Twitter handle. His Twitter <laughs> handle is um, the Last Positivist, uh, and he's a he's a genuinely very very brilliant philosopher at LSE. And uh, he has a distinction uh, between, so he's talking about the history of philosophy. He says, the history of philosophy can be divided between people who are basically pleasant bureaucrats. And in this category, I always put um, enemy of the of wisdom of crowds, enemy of the pod, uh, John Rawls. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, his project is like, 
let's just figure out the world, pattern it, tidy it all up into like, we can conceptualize rules that will make it so that it's all okay. And th this is kind of the like decreased certainty version of philosophy that we were talking about earlier. Uh, and then the other, the alternative is the sexy murder poet category. And that's some um, friend of the pod, like Kierkegaard or Friedrich Nietzsche, right? Like yeah, yeah. that's, that's the kind of like, yeah, like, yeah, what the hell is everything? And I don't know. And like, then just running like these big speculative visions. So, I think when we're doing philosophy of mind, so in general, I'm obviously like um, much more sympathetic to the um, sexy murder poet, like trajectory of the discipline. And I think in many cases, this like philosophy of mind stuff gets very confused because people are trying to artificially limit the range of questions that are being asked and say, here's here are the inputs that can be acceptable and here are the outputs that like we're gonna accept. And so then you end up in a very, I think both stale and gridlocked set of debates about how, like what constitutes human beings, what is consciousness, what is free will. And, um, and the, you know, those, those have been like long-term disciplines that have been working and working on these problems. And like, it does feel like they didn't actually kind of break through. Um, in contrast, I do think if you just let all of the big premises that we're trying to work out on the table, you get a very different kind of picture. So I, that's that's like a background premise for like how how I'd want to talk about this. Yeah, but I mean, so so so, talk me down off the ledge, then, Sam. That's what I need you. Like I'm standing at the ledge here, yeah. at the precipice of not believing in myself existing. So yeah. like, talk me off the ledge here. Um, uh, I guess I guess you know, give me a case. Uh, where, you know, whatever I intentionally or unintentionally left out in my argument about chat GPT and like personhood or, you know, consciousness or what, I don't know, subject, subjectivity, however you want to put it. Um, how do you get that back into the, the, the equation after if my sort of primary, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say the word move, but my primary sort of flash of insight in this is that um, all these things that we like to talk about could be just as simply explained by, you know, a large language model or whatever ChatGPT is doing. That is to say that we have successfully modeled uh, by using computers uh, a primitive version of, you know, what might be going on in our heads. Yeah. So, well, let's start uh, with just articulating like what I think I took you to be arguing that essay. So, you know, there were all these stories about how Google, uh, Google's ad network had figured out a way to link up your browsing history on your computer with your browsing history on your phone. So even without you signing into anything. Yeah. So um, letting out a uh, like low frequency signal that humans can't pick up, but that with Android phones, they had set up the software so that it would be listening for that signal. And so then when your browser your browser goes to a certain site, like it lets out the signal, then your phone immediately makes the link between, oh, this is the same person who's doing the thing on the computer and the thing on your phone. Wait, what do you mean by signal? I mean, I, I sort of remember this, but like, what, what do you think you mean by that? It's, like, just, a, it's just an auditory, it's just a like set of auditory waves, right? That it's... It's is lower. That how, I, was that how it was supposed to work? I thought it was much dumber than that. I thought it was just like basically setting cookies and stuff like that and being able to sort of match correlations and things like that. Not that it was like pinging. 
you know, that your they, Android They are phone... doing that too, obviously. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, what, but this, they were sending this was... like a beep to your computer and then like the beep was being picked up by a microphone on your computer and it was like, oh, Sam's Android is next to his computer and look, check his Chrome history and his other thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. I mean, I, at least I, I, at least I didn't hear rum- that. But let's say that that rumors theory- of this. I, have, I, haven't, I haven't looked back. Okay, but, so what does okay, that yeah. tell us? So yeah. let's let's run with that, right? So the way that that, that that works is just like completely physically traceable, right? Mm-hmm. So there's like a kind of causality on the part of the initiating device, a receptor on the part of the computer, or whatever that's picking up this thing off your phone, and then that changes the set of behaviors sure. um, on the side of the receiver device. So then okay. the receiver device starts doing different things, and it's so that sounds a lot like communication, right? Like it's of a certain kind, but we know the mechanical process all the way along. Okay. Um, so I think that what you're arguing in the essay is basically that all human language works like that. It's just a set of, or it could, right, it could be. So we, like, we can do the same thing with ChatGPT, right? That, like, it's a um, set of physical prompts, physical causality that we can trace all the way through the system. We know we know exactly how the um, the programming operates. You know, we don't, though, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, sure, right. But no, that's no, true. but that, yeah. that, that, I mean, I think that's not, that's not, like, a small detail. The, the yeah. fascinating thing about ChatGPT is that they built this thing and they don't know how it works. Like yeah. that—that's the amazing thing about the whole, like the way neural nets work on on things. That that in fact, actually, we're no closer to understanding the causal pathways. And even like uh, Wolfram gets—I mean, it's a pretty technical paper. Wolfram's thing is yeah. like sixty thousand words, and it gets into programming stuff. But I really encourage uh, listeners and readers to go and like work through it because the stuff you don't understand, just like try and understand it and keep going and and like you know it it may make sense but like the 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 sort of the really interesting stuff is towards the end is that basically what we've achieved is not to explain how brains work we're not closer to mapping the brain but somehow we have managed to nevertheless replicate how our brain might work so we're not getting at the center of it but what's what's the 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 real crux of it is that we have successfully modeled something we thought was not modelable, that we think that thing, that capacity for language, we thought, because most programming worked is exactly as you're describing with the Google thing, which is just like X then Y. These are like logical propositions and logical sort of arrows yeah. that you can draw yeah. and you could trace the arrow and yeah. it's deterministic and gets from A to B. Yeah. And the thing about ChatGPT is they built this thing and you can't get from A to B. And in fact, from A to B is is not deterministic. And in fact, if you ask the same exact prompt to ChatGPT four times, you'll get four different answers, just yeah. like with a human being. Yeah. And so again, it's 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 not that we're closer to a deterministic model for this. It's that we have modeled human behavior in a in a machine. That's the thing. And that's what then at, that forces the question is that like if that whole thing that we thought was unmodelable is modelable even if we don't understand the model, but is modelable, we can replicate it and recreate it. What does that say about what's going on inside us? That's the whole insight. Nothing else. Well, so the part that we do know how to model, though, is that we didn't put a soul into ChatGPT. Uh, what's right? a soul? What's a soul? Right. Well, so so we'll we'll get to that. But yeah. I do th- I do think, you know, so I think you're right in terms of the like uncertainty about how a large neural net works. That's yeah. right. And one of the interesting things in the Wolfram essay, right, is that he says, um, in order to do this well and have it not be wooden, mm-hmm. you actually need to introduce that uncertainty. So you you change the temperature setting so it's not just 
um, you're going to take the possibilities with the highest prob- probability of like, like when you like say, okay, like you start a sentence, um, I would like, and then you just like need the next word. Um, you're not going to take the one that's like most commonly showing up in the corpus every time you're going to say, let's, re- let's reduce that a little bit. Like sometimes yeah. it's going to take that top one and other times it's going to take a different word. And that if you do it the other way, it becomes incredibly boring and often really repetitive yep. and doesn't at all give you the result that you get with ChatGPT. Um, but in contrast, if you introduce that uncertainty, then it does start to like move in a slightly more human direction. I think that's very interesting. And it, it does, t- does relate to the kind of questions about what language is and how it works. Um, so I think the the main thing I want to push I, well the main thing I want to push on here is what we're so the argument that you're making I think is just that there's a very strong imitative capacity in ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. So you build the system and it starts to do things that look a lot like human beings and that's reasonable and i think in some ways that's kind of what we're doing with all of our tool creation like a dishwasher is also supposed to just imitate a human being right yep. like which is like grab your dishes and make them clean like yep. this is the same so it's like taking a like behavioral input and then trying to make a behavioral output that like looks like what a human being is doing and we're like wow like this is amazing like this is a behavioral a behavioral aspect of human beings that seems like really hard to to replicate um but like, turns out, hey, like we can do that. Um, I think so. the The place that I want to um, just disagree with your essay is that I don't think that this is in any way getting close to the principal properties of human beings that are actually definitive. So what you're saying is like language use is like the real thing, and. Um, and then this this means that hey like like we're not actually sure if computers could actually be, be looking that much like a human being. So then what what are humans like? Maybe we can start to pull them apart. The biggest question about human beings is like why are we awake? That's that's the actual. This is what like um, the the like literature calls the hard problem of consciousness. The like why do we experience anything? And I don't. So from my perspective, ChatGPT as a capacity to imitate human beings is fascinating and like wildly interesting and like potentially optimistic about the future. I mean, in contrast to the existential risk stuff we were talking about earlier, I do think that there are like really fascinating possibilities that are going to evolve with this technology. I also don't think it's anywhere close. Like I don't see even like the tiniest incremental step toward addressing that principal question, which is um, like the hard problem of consciousness. Yeah. yeah. So look, I, I mean, uh, the other thing I added in the essay was, and was really lucky that we had uh, Luke Burgess on a few weeks ago. And I mean, his book on mimetic yeah. behavior and th- that again, like human beings are copying machines, you know, in a lot of ways, society is, is sort of uh, built on, you know, human beings taking cues. I mean, uh, I, there was a, an essay by Noam Chomsky also trying to tear apart GPT in the New York times. I didn't, I didn't find it actually, all that persuasive, even against you know my own sort of case. I mean, he's a he's much more knowledgeable about language and the sort of what this does or doesn't prove about language. But I, I still I, I thought the Wolfram essay was more interesting than what Chomsky came up with. But the the the, the you know the 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 question isn't about um, whether this Chat GPT is is human. That that again is not what I'm getting at, or yeah. or anything like that. It's more that um, how do I put it. Chat, chat GPT just shows um, what's possible, and it's going to get better and better and more and more human-like. I mean, again, I haven't really played with Chat GPT four, 
uh, now and see like if it's if it's better and not like running into the same sort of dead ends that you would get into with ChatGPT before. Uh, but but you know, let's assume that it's it's going to get better and better at that. The other thing is, you know, the, when once you sort of really think about what Luke's getting at in the sort of dark part of uh, Luke Burgess's book is is and he really despairs about that is that that mimetic element in human beings and and what that does to society and what how like you know human beings and society is easy to manipulate through these sorts of moves of manipulation and things like that that also sort of points to at least the possibility that we're less than we think we are that in fact we have we have accidentally like backed into uh modeling at a pretty low level of something that we may be. So, you know, your your ultimate question of why are we awake? Uh, you know, I think within the par within the parameters of of my speculation in the essay is like it's 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 explainable that awakeness is that what we like to think about being awake is an emergent property of how our our minds are wired and process the outside world. Uh, as copy machines, basically, as okay. as as go ahead, Shadi. That's all I want. So, to say. I mean, one one key difference. So, when we talk about humans as copy machines, and the idea of mimetic desire that Luke Burgess talked about in the episode, the question is, why do we copy each other as human beings? And I think, I I think the source of that is important. We we imitate each other because we desire, because we feel because we want to we want to feel loved we want to belong these all seem like very distinctly human impulses that derive from consciousness the outcome is imitation and therefore we think well you know chat gpt does that too but the question is why does chat gpt imitate and why do we imitate we imitate for different reasons I mean, conceivably, uh, I would just say that that you know, you you can express something to me in a conversation, and we have a word for it, it and it's desire. But it's also conceivable that like there's a part of your brain that's linguistic, and it's processing inputs from other parts of you, and like language has sort of given us a framework for talking about these these inputs that like the language part of your brain is processing and it expresses itself that way again like you know you have to you have to assert that there's a consciousness there there's there's a there's a way to talk about you know with this about all of that 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 you know i could at least plausibly account for consciousness without explaining it but i could account for it as being an emergent property of like a like a system that we're starting to model and you know, for your question, Sam, to make sense about, you know, the, the ultimate question of consciousness or your your yeah. counter here, Shadi, of saying, well, obviously, you know, we feel things. I would say, well, maybe, maybe. I mean, you, you certainly feel like you feel things, but it could be just an emergent property of Wait, can, do you think you stuff. Can, do you think you can be deceived about feeling that you feel something? Yeah, of course. I mean, you constantly, so I mean, you sure can, you can, like, take you can, some drugs, you, man. Like, uh, you, you, can can be feel. you can be deceived about the specificity of what you're feeling. Hmm? But, so, tell me, actually, I'm interested, like, the part of the, one part of your essay is specifically talking about the, about Descartes and the, yeah. um, I think, therefore I am. Yeah. Do you find that not plausible? Like, does yeah. that, well, I mean, okay, that, so tell me, tell me why. So you think, 
you what what part of that 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 sentence breaks down on the I think like as if as if that somehow proves anything like those are just like those are again two those both of those can be emergent properties it's like I well you know I think sure I mean whatever again you know the the other part that sort of got me writing that essay was was actually the process of writing I sort of allude to it but I'll, I'll get into it a little bit more which has always been for me is that you know I write to just sort of get it out and then I, I don't even go back and read the stuff and I don't even think about it and ultimately with some passage of time, usually about a year, I read something I read and I'll be like, huh, that's interesting. Like, I don't even associate with myself with it anymore, nor do I, nor do I have any claim to it anymore. I, literally no like personal claim. I can maybe conjure up a personal, like a, a, a former state of mind where I was like, oh yeah, I remember when I was thinking about that, but it's not me anymore. That's like back there. And it's, a, it's something that's like, that came out of like this me here. But it's not me. I don't associate myself with that. I I can remember like me back then doing it, but I don't feel like some sort of kinship that this is like a trace of my essence or something like that out there. So it was that that kind of insight plus the 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 funny insight is like when you're playing with ChatGPT and you see when it's like stacking the words. Yeah. And I remember when I was writing the essay, I was like, huh, like I was working on a sentence. I was like, huh, this is just like freaking ChatGPT <laughs> trying to figure out what the next word in this sentence is, you know? It's just a linguistic process. And that was the other thing that then jumped out at me just at that very point in the essay as I was writing it. It was like, what is it that makes us better writers? It's reading more. And what was the breakthrough in ChatGPT? They gave it <laughs> like the more, biggest yeah. corpus of like the entire world, right? Like everything that's digitized and written as a word. And guess what? Having read everything, it's able to write better, quite frankly, is really, that's the other sort of thing, which is another property of humanity, you know? Like people, you're always told, and it's true, the more you read, the better writer you are, the more that sort of works, you know? It's these sort of feedback loops. And none of that requires... And again, this is not proof that it doesn't exist. I'm not saying that right. like yeah. That, yeah. that consciousness doesn't exist. I'm just saying I can explain all of that without recourse to consciousness. And that to me was like an oh shit moment, you know? Ooh, did I win? No, Sh Shadi's, <laughs> Shadi's like deep, deep in, deep in thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything to say right now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Sam, it's on you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think there are two different questions here. There's the first one is like the question of other minds. So like that's basically like, do you, Demir, and, and I have any reason to think Shadi is conscious? And that's like that's like a specific set of questions. And that's that's like the um, is Shadi conscious, but ChatGPT is not conscious, right? That's like a the set of the questions. I don't think. Um, so I think that's like really important set of questions. I happen to think Shadi is conscious uh, and it's, yeah, do, go ahead. Do you know how to answer it? I'd answer it that like, it would be an absurd thing to think otherwise because otherwise I'd go into an insane asylum or I should be locked up because yeah. ultimately our society depends on that assertion, but it's an assertion. And there's no way that, you know, it's, it's fundamentally a belief. I believe Shadi is conscious. Uh, and I treat him as if he is conscious, even if I'd, there's no way, and I feel no certainty about that fact, but I, I absolutely must treat Shadi as a conscious agent because otherwise, forget it. Like, so then it, isn't, it, isn't it then I believe, therefore I am? Yeah, I believe, I think, therefore I am. How's that? Like that, that, yeah. that would be the more accurate Cartesian sort of thing. 
Okay. I, I, maybe this is a little bit of a tangent, but I was just, um, on the question of feeling, I think that one of the most distinctive human sentiments is longing and lament, a wistfulness. Those seem really distinctive to me, and I'm just trying to think about how Chad GB, Chat GPT would render longing. Like, is it possible for AI? Like, I, I maybe I'm thinking about it the wrong way. But does uh-huh. that does that resonate at all? That, seem, that seems totally right to me. So, w- when I've taught on this topic, the um, one of the background things that I usually f- come on in my own thinking is like um, both question of being awake, like I said earlier, like what does it mean for me to be me? And that's a kind of, um, that is where I think the, that aspect, like I think Descartes is wrong in in most ways, but I think in this particular way, saying I, like any, any, any use of the word I is hard to like impeach, right? Because, um, because e- so the you know like the one way to put this is that even if you're deceived about what you're thinking or how that's working you are doing it like you are the the one that's there so that that's i think the first part but then i do think the question of being something that desires and that th- then things flow from that is also totally constitutive in all kinds of ways of what it means to exist as a human being and it's very, very hard to imagine inputting that into like just a mechanical process. A mechanical process can do lots of things, but it doesn't have that sense of desire in any kind of yeah. Yep. So, so I would I would just caution you. I, I think you know <laughs> even with your Google ex, uh, uh, example, this is where the word mechanical comes in. I, I'd, I'd banish that. It's not mechanical. So mechanical just assumes the sort of input-output machine. And that's not what we're talking about here. That's yeah. not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about um, language and being able to successfully model it. And so let me just put it to you this way. Uh, I think ChatGPT doesn't write good poetry yet. Um, I'm pretty sure ChatGPT will be able to write poetry that will be capable of moving you uh, within the next, I don't know, pick a time frame. Let's, let's be very conservative and say five years. Um, what do you what do you do then when you're legitimately moved by some text that ChatGPT comes up? I mean, you can start asking the questions like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be moved because I know that ChatGPT didn't experience any of this, and and therefore it's all stuff and it's all BS and it's a robot. But who cares about that? You are moved by text. Just it's like you're not moved by the fact that but, but that, Tamir- that like Ezra Pound was a human being and you've read all this history about Ezra Pound and you've read you know. Uh, some Ezra Pound and you're like, oh, this is moving because I'm communing with Ezra Pound who's long dead. No, that's not it. You're reading a fucking text and but, the text moves you and that triggers something in you. Now, that's still, none of that requires, and again, I, I go back to the, the, the thing, it starts with the I, but what if the I is just an emergent property? Again, you, you, can, you can assert that I clearly means that it's not an emergent property and the I, there's something, there's something fundamental about it, but I'm just throwing it out there that there's that that's just an assertion, and there's nothing there's nothing that is particularly convincing about it if you really like, you know, dig how, into how that. How is that? How is that any different than the situation that we've already 
had previous to ChatGPT, right? So, you know, there there are these thought experiments that go back where it's like, what if you give um, like uh, millions of like non-language using creatures the capacity to just like keep typing randomly on, on a type word, type, typewriter for like yeah. an infinite period of time, eventually yeah. they'll like imitate Shakespeare. Yeah. So like, okay, great. But that's just like playing probabilities. That's just like something showing up. We've now figured out how to create a mechanical process that's also playing mechanical again no it's not mechanical well, no but the the background substrate is right like it's still working on f physical silicon chips right yeah sure. like that that part that part is still mechanical so but, th there there is then like a sophisticated software process on top of that but it is still a f like a physical set of engineering um again you know i it's 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 the differences, and again, you know, I think the it's at the beginning of the, the Stephen Wolfram essay about like you know that that temperature variable that he talks about. You put that in, it makes it a little better. But you know, ChatGPT is a lot more than that. And like you know, he goes for the another forty, fifty thousand words explaining the complexities. A lot of that sail over my head. But what the the interesting thing is that like you know, you take that initial model where you have the temperature variable, and all of a sudden it takes like almost non-human prose and makes it a little bit more human. But then you layer in a bit more of this kind of you know layers. Of 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 abstraction and layers of uh, probabilistic, you know, again this this network effect of just sort of taking data inputs, fitting them to models, copying, et cetera, et cetera, and all of a sudden, sort of on the fractal-like structure, out of this emerges a convincing language. And again, you know, we're, we it is different from a million monkeys you know, an infinite number of monkeys on an infinite number of typewriters typing stuff. And, you know, I think there's a, it's a, that's the premise in that Borges story about the, the, yeah, infinite, the library infinite library as well, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is different because it's not that, that it's the infinite number of texts and it's not that ChatGPT is, is actually rendering an infinite number of texts and happening to deliver one to you that it judges. There's something else going on here is that we've set well, up it, a heuristic, it, a heuristic that reacts that is able to parse, not understand, but to parse your question, keep it in memory, respond to it using this complex, complicated thing that we don't understand. You can react to what it's written. It will parse your reaction in terms of what it has responded to, remembering that and your first thing. So like keep that in its whole sort of thing and keep a conversation going. Now you can run it off the rails, at least like the previous version of ChatGPT, it's not too hard to, to, to break the illusion for sure. But again, the insight is like, you know that th for me it fundamentally undermines that 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 mysterious question that starting principle of I that we're so sure of. I just think we can be a lot less sure of that 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 ultimate question anymore. Maybe this all comes back to God. Then it does. So does my essay, if you recall. Maybe, maybe nothing really stands up without some recourse to. God as the origin, like on all of these like fundamental questions, maybe, I mean, we're, maybe that's just really what it comes down to that, you know, you have to believe in God to believe in the individual and the individual having moral agency because longing, regret, all of these emotions that we associate with being human are there for a reason. Um, and that's how that's how humans are you know at least in theory held to account because we choose and we feel and we make mistakes and we sin and we're erratic and unreliable and unpredictable but all those things are there because that is how that is how god 
created us and he created us that way for a reason. Um, maybe that's what it comes down to. Sam, tell, tell me why that's wrong or why, why we can, why, why that's not the fundamental jumping off point. I agree. I kind of agree to that. Like if you want justice, if you want any of the things, you need that as your starting premise. Without that, I don't think you can get at any of it. Well, so I mean, like I'm, I'm also religious and, and do actually think that these kinds of cosmological, like these sort of specific questions around the world that we inhabit do have to work in relation to like large cosmological visions like that. I, I, I think that that's, I think that's right. I do think that, um, the world is mysterious though. And I think that you can figure out the degree of its mystery, like by starting almost anywhere. This is, this is back to the, um, being against the basically pleasant bureaucrat version of philosophy, which is, no, no, the world's easy. We get it. I'll show you the pie chart and then like, it's all going to work. Like that, that version I think is foundationally fudging a whole bunch of things. Um, I think that there are like very fascinating ways in which um, this conversation has shown the limits of some important tendencies toward the basically pleasant bureaucrat um, aspect of our society. Um, just to run through this quickly, the history of like philosophy of mind goes kind of like this. So you start with a real impulse towards scientism and the desire to say, we can have causal closure. We can perfectly map the entirety of the world by like event to event causation. This thing happened, then this thing happened, then this thing happened, then this thing happened. And if we just try hard enough and like keep running the, the, the like scientific disciplines the way that we do, we're gonna understand everything. And so that has worked in like a lot of different areas. And it's like fascinating how many areas it's worked in. Um, it has also not worked in some key areas and um, not just philosophy of mind, like that's one of them, but uh, but there are, there are others. In the, like, I think some of the like kind of borderlands of, of theoretical physics are another one. In philosophy of mind, what's fascinating is that you have a tremendous motivation and a tremendous number of resources for decades and decades and decades, probably going back to the 20s in one sense, definitely like mid-century in other senses, trying to say, we can do this. We can figure out how consciousness works and pattern it into this like closed causal system. And that project, as far as, I, I mean, there are still like probably the dominant position in the field is still physicalism of that kind or like the desire, but it's still wildly aspirational. It's like, yeah, we're going to keep working on this for another 50 years and then maybe we'll get there. But, but the field since the 80s has essentially fractured from that aspiration because people say, yeah, this is a lot harder and a lot weirder than we thought. And so now if you go pick up a philosophy of mind journal, you'll have papers about the idea that the entire universe is conscious. You'll have papers about um, panpsychism, which is like the idea that there's like a low lying level of consciousness in like quantum phenomena that then like gradually build up as you get to higher order phenomena. So then by the time you get to neurons, then that gets consolidated in such a way that like, hey, presto, like these like apparently physical events are also conscious events. Um, and a whole series of other like wild explanatory hypotheses. And what, what's so fascinating about that is that 
it's like one of the reasons why I like this discipline is because it's having, it started with the aspiration to say, hey, we can tidy everything up into a neat system. And now even on its own terms, it's saying, actually, that's really hard. The world's way weirder than we thought. And we're going to have to contend with that. And I, I like that. I mean, I think that's, I think that's a sign of philosophical vitality. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, the, 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 I'm on board for all of that, but still, you know, it's the part that's not satisfying, even on the the sort of, you know, the uh, cosmology of, of, you know, on the quantum level, and then, you know, some consolidation between neurons and the full brain that, like, you yeah. still have, you know, consciousness coming out. That still seems like a an unprovable metaphysical claim. And I'm, I'm just wondering if anyone makes the other claim, which is that consciousness is still an emergent property of of, you know, just looking at it backwards as I am, you know, like you're, you're, they're still trying to build up into something transcendent and maybe acknowledging that there's some kind of transcendence. And again, I don't think I'm, I'm too far away from saying that, like, I'm not making any positive claim in all of this. I'm just sort of... Uh, you're asking questions. <laughs> I'm just asking questions, as a great man once said. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> on that note. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's a... Uh, it's, uh, I mean, that is a good note upon which to end. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of what Sam's getting at. This is the we don't that, know. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. Philosophy is a as a yeah. As well, thanks so much, as Sam. Ignorance. Yeah. Yeah. For for joining us, this was awesome. Oh, it's been um, delightful. Yeah, as always. And uh, philosophy is always more fun than you think it will be. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. All right. Bye, guys. Right. Okay. Great to see you guys. Thanks so much. Bye. Cheers. Oh,